The Apostle John walked closely with Jesus during all of his earthly ministry. He was used of God to give us a remarkable, intimate, powerful account of the ministry of Jesus. And now, as the cross draws near, Jesus' last night becomes the darkest night in mankind's history. There, in the shadows with Jesus, the swelling darkness makes every effort to overtake our Savior. The coming scenes of suffering are the backdrop for this night as Jesus prepares to face the hardest day of his project of salvation for the guilty through the substitution of the innocent. John composed his gospel to provide reasons of saving faith, proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and offers the gift of salvation. He declares, these things are written that you may believe. I want to say thank you for the years that I've been uh, an elder here at McGregor. It's been a blessing to me personally to interact with, with you folks and the other elders of our church in uh, serving him. It's a real joy. Please remember to pray for the elders of the church. They, in many of the things that we involve ourselves in, it's just a, a joy to be a part of the work of God. But there are other times when it gets a little heavy and uh, some of the things that we have to deal with are just you know, there's sin in this world. Have you noticed that? And sometimes, sometimes the things we deal with, we're a little heavy. And uh, certainly be praying and be an encouragement to the elders of the church for they watch over your souls as they who must give an account. Well, we're going to look at John 18 this morning. And uh, the passage that has uh, been assigned to me is John 18, uh, 28 through 38. And we're going to be taking a look at that. The big idea, as you see in your notes, is Jesus is not just true. He is truth. How many of you have been on a cruise? Several of you have been. It's, uh, if my wife and I, it's our favorite uh, means of going on vacation. And we've been cruising oh, every year for, wow, long time. And, uh, and we had uh, the opportunity this year to have a real special cruise. And uh, we... Uh, flew and got on the ship in Copenhagen, Denmark, and went to Stockholm, Sweden, and to Helsinki, Finland, to Tallinn, uh, Estonia. We're supposed to go to St. Petersburg, but that's not a real popular place to be right now, being in the Rus country of Russia. And, uh, and then an island of Gotland, where uh, the uh, city of Isby is at, and we back to Copenhagen again. And I mention that to you because that's kind of what we're going to be doing with the sermon this morning. We got there a couple of days early and we toured the city and we're going to be spending a little bit of time getting rolling here this morning and talking about truth and that. And then we get on the ship and we'll go to port one, port two, port three, port four, and then back to where we started again, kind of what we did on, on the cruise earlier this year. And you know how port, uh, your uh, ports are. You have shore excursions, and uh, you book them beforehand, and you go out there, and you see something in part of the country, and it's wonderful, and it's nice, and you come back in the ship, and you go to the next one. But then you think to yourself, boy, there's a whole country out there, and I, I just saw an itty-bitty portion of it, and, and boy, it'd be nice to spend more time there. And that's kind of what uh, it may feel like you when we get to the, to the ports of call on this message this morning. Our intent is to just point out some things to you in the Gospel of John concerning the word truth. 
because we're gonna see in the passage the question, what is truth? And John clearly answers that question in a way through his gospel that I had never really seen before until I began to study this, this passage. We have the seven miracles, the seven signs that we've talked about already in this series about how John included those so that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God and believing in him, you might be saved. And yet there is another traceable path of what John intended to do and he wrote his gospel. And it surrounds the word truth. 109 times the noun form of the word truth appears in the New Testament. 25 of those times in the gospel of John, more than any other book. And as we look at these things, we're not gonna be able to hit them all. We'll do some of them even tomorrow on the podcast. But you're going to see through our ports of call on this message today that John was laying the groundwork actually through his entire gospel and we just didn't necessarily see it all and how he was doing that so that when he gets to the place here in 18 where Pilate says, what's truth? Wow, there is the answer there in the word of God all along. So I'm excited to share it with you. So in John chapter 18, if you would please follow along, we're gonna begin in verse 28. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. And they themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? And they answered, well, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to him, well then take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, oh, it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. You know, if, if it wasn't so sad, it would be kind of humorous. I mean, how, how do you get up in the morning if you have to get up early in the morning? Uh, I've got a friend that I've known for many years and uh, through a transition in life, my wife and I ended up staying in his house with him and his wife. And it was hilarious to watch him every morning. He'd get up and to get from his bedroom to the kitchen, he would do this. I mean, he would just get me my cup of coffee somehow. And that's the only, once he got his coffee in him and everything, he was doing fine. The Bible tells us here it was early in the morning. Pilate's probably just gotten up. He's just beginning to get rolling again. And a servant comes in and says, we got some religious leaders out there who won't talk to you. Are you kidding me? This early in the morning? All right, go tell them I'll talk to them, have them come on in. They go out, the servant goes out, comes back and says, uh, I hate to tell you this, don't get mad at me, but they won't come in the house. You're gonna have to go out there and talk to them. Can, can you just see Pilate getting up in, a, in, in just a huff and kind of stomping out of his residence there and going out to these people and say, what do you want this time of the morning? If it wasn't so sad what was going on, it would be kind of, of humorous here. But this accusation where these, bring, these people bring Jesus to Pilate and, and Jesus in a sense is standing before Pilate. Now Pilate represents the Roman government and 
the Roman government represents in, in Israel the entire Roman Empire, which was basically the known world at that time. So we could say that Jesus was standing before Pilate, but in a sense, he was standing before the world because that's what Pilate represented in his person in the nation of Israel as the uh, person for the Roman government. So we read on in verse 33, so Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or did others say this to you about me? It's interesting, Jesus there is going, have you been doing some research on me, uh, Pilate? Have you been, you heard about some of the miracles? Maybe, maybe you've, you've, you're wondering about who I am or why I'm doing these things. You know, what's, he, he wanted to know where Pilate was coming from in his thinking and Pilate's answered, what, am I a Jew? Well, obviously, he hadn't been thinking much about Jesus. Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And here, Jesus turns the tables on him. I mentioned before that Jesus was standing before Pilate, which is in essence standing before the world. But in just a couple of three sentences, Jesus turns it so that all of a sudden, Pilate's on trial, not Jesus. Look what he said. Jesus answered, oh, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting and that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. Kingdom, world, Pilate's sender going, wait a minute, I'm the Roman government. Wait a minute, I'm part of the Roman empire. I'm the one that's of the known world. I'm the world here. And Jesus said, I've got a kingdom. It's not even of this world, Pilate. I'm greater than you, and it's not me standing on trial. It's you, and you better pay attention to what I have to say. And so it moves on from there. Then verse 37, Pilate said to him, so are you a king? And Jesus answered, well, you say that I'm a king, and for this purpose I was born. Yes, Jesus came to be the king. And he went on to say, though, for this purpose I was born for the... Uh, for this purpose to have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. And everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And then Pilate says to him, what is truth? And in that sense, he, he drags all of us into the conversation. I mean, how many times have you and I wanted to know the truth about something? For those of you who've, who have passed, and thank God I'm past the time of rearing teenagers. Remember when you, when you had teenagers at home and you were always asking them, come on, what's the real truth here? Come on, what's the story here? Come on, tell me the truth. We've, we've asked the truth for the truth a lot of different times in a lot of different circumstances. And so it is when Pilate says, what is truth? He kind of brings us all into the conversation now because now all of us in essence are standing before Jesus and having to answer that question. What is truth? But thank God the Bible answers the question for us. Let me share with just a few things before we get into those protocols we're going to be stopping at to see what John said about truth. The origin of truth, I want you to think about just briefly, first of all. Genesis chapter one, have you ever thought that when God said, let there be light and energy was created in all the universe, that with the creation of of that light, of that energy, 
Along with that, God was writing, underwriting every truth that were going to be related to energy in the universe and that every discipline, every study by any college university or anyone individually, if they ever wanted to study that particular area of the creation, they were only going to be observing and coming to understand the truths that God underwrote that creation was when he said it. So it is that you can go all through Genesis chapter one in his six days of creation. Every time God said, let there be, let there be, let there be, not only did it appear, but every truth underlying that thing was created at the same time so that you can I say that God is true, but we can also say God is truth. He is the originator of it. But there was opposition to it, of course, right away. You don't think Satan's gonna let God get away with that without some pushback on that. So in the Garden of Eden, he comes up to Eve, starts having a conversation with her. And out of that conversation, he says this, you shall not surely die. What's Satan doing there? He's saying, you believe God was true. You believe that God is truth. You've been believing all along that, that, that truth resides in God, the creator. But I'm here to tell you this. He's not all true. He's not all truth. There's things about him you need to start questioning about his character. And so this opposition to the truth of God originally with Satan in the garden continues today because that's his modus operandi. That's what he does all the time. He challenges the truth of God so that you and I have opposition yet still today in, the, in the, where we live and that's called the opposition to absolute truth. Absolute truth is being rejected today wholesale. Everybody wants their own truth. I'll give you an example from this last week. Abraham Lincoln, after he delivered the Gettysburg Address, the greatest speech maybe any of our presidents have ever, have ever given, he was requested by several people if they could get a copy of the speech. So Abraham Lincoln, as far as we know, made at least five handwritten copies, his own hand. He wrote out the Gettysburg Address at least five times and gave it to people. Cornell University is the proud owner of one of those five handwritten copies of the Gettysburg Address in Abraham Lincoln's own hand. Just this last week, according to the librarian on Cornell University, that the, uh, there was a student who came to the administration and expressed great frustration and concern and, and uh, being upset that Abraham Lincoln and what he did and what he stood for was, was, was totally against what he believed and that they needed to do something about having this Abraham Lincoln stuff on the campus. You know what Cornell University did just this week? They removed the copy of the Gettysburg Address and they removed the one bust of Abraham Lincoln and put it in a storage room because one person went to the administration and said, I demand my truth. And they gave into it. Because you see what happens is this, they have their truth and then they express that truth 
because they want to live in a safe place where their truth is not being challenged because they can't handle challenge to their truth. And if you don't give in to them, if you don't give them their safe space, then they'll respond, well, well, if I can't have my safe space and if I can't get you to accept my truth and give me my safe space, then I am threatened. I feel like I have been attacked. And if I feel threatened and if I have been attacked, then I have a right to respond to you because you attacked me and I can use violence justifiably because you have attacked me by not accepting my truth. And now you know why there were, the, there were all of the, the riots in the, in the cities of America over the last two or three years. Now you know why the woke movement is such a danger to us today. Now you know why that you and I cannot afford to let go or to hold loosely this idea of absolute truth. The principal of the South African Theological Seminary said that Absolute truth is under attack today. And he further went on to say that the church is being weakened by this attack upon absolute truth. There was a company that did a survey, over 30,000 people. That survey came back. One of the questions they asked was, are there many different ways to heaven or are there different religions that allow you to get to heaven? 57% of evangelical Christianity responded in that survey of over 30,000 people. 57% said there is no absolute truth of how you get to heaven. There are many religions that will allow you to get there. Do you understand what that means for you and me? Folks, if we do not hold to the biblical truth of the absolute truth of God and that he is the only way to heaven, we as a church lose our voice in this world. We have nothing to say that the people of this world will not look to another religion and say, well, I can get it from them too. I, don't, I hope you can appreciate, I hope you can understand the importance it is that you and I stay true to the word of God and that it is the absolute truth by which we hang our eternal destiny upon. The issue, of course, is truth. And where does truth come from today? Oh, wow, I love this. You're gonna love this. Hebrews chapter one has some verses in it that tell us about, you know, truth began in the garden uh, or back in the creation. Where is it today? Well, listen to these words. These are great. Hebrews chapter one. Long ago, at many times, it sounds like a start of a Star Wars or something, doesn't it? Long ago. At many times and in many places, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. You see what God was doing all through the Old Testament was trying to pull his people back to, listen, stay in the truth of who I am. Stay in the truth of who you are. Stay in the truth. I, I send you prophets to try to get you to stay in the truth. But in these last days, he has spoken unto us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. 
He is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. Talking about Jesus here. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, it's how we know it's Jesus. Jesus died on the cross for us. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. The source of truth now is in our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The truth is at issue for you and me. What is truth? Dan Lyon in his doctrinal thesis as, as he wrote it out, said this about Jesus. He is the epitome and the emissary for truth. The reality of truth that you and I are facing today there are these signposts I mentioned, but John lays out a traceable path in the Gospel of John by the use of the noun truth that tells us who Jesus is and answers that question, what is truth? And he responds by, by telling us the truth is Jesus. So that we sometimes think of the truth as an abstract noun, something that you can experience with your five senses. It's true. It's like love. In, in our English language, we consider love much of an abstract noun because it's not so much, it's just some theoretical thing. It's something that's ethereal. It's, it's abstract. But John is telling us here, as in, you'll see as we go through these verses, the truth is Jesus. It is a living truth. It is an observable truth. There's reasons why John said we saw his glory. We handled him like in, in 1 John chapter one, the word of life. We experienced him. Jesus moves the idea of truth and love from the abstract into the concrete. And John recognizing that, then we can say that in the gospel of John, the word truth is, an, it is a Christological concept. It is a Christological truth. It is not something that is abstract. Well, hey, you ready to get on the ship? Sure you are. <laughs> Let's go to the first port of call, John chapter one. Let's go to John chapter one. Let me show you just a few of these instances where John laid out this pathway to get to the question of what is truth in John chapter 18. He really does a wonderful job at this. We can't cover them all. There's 25 of them, but we'll cover some more of them in the podcast tomorrow. But look in John chapter one, if you would please, and verse one, and then down 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Wow, what a powerful opening to his gospel. The Word... It was with God and it was God in the beginning. Takes us all the way back to what we mentioned before about Genesis and how God not only created, but he created truth along with the material universe. But then we get down to verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is only, only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the epitome of truth. This wonderful first protocol, we step off into the Word of God here in John chapter 1 and become uh, and realize almost immediately that he is the one who is full of grace and truth. You need grace? You want to try and show grace to somebody else? Guess where you find grace? 
He's in Jesus. He's full of grace. You need truth? You want to try and express truth to someone else? You know where you find truth? Jesus. Because you see, he is the epitome of truth. He is full of truth. Well, that's one thing that we can really learn in this particular stop on our journey here. So let's get back on the ship, go to our next port of call of chapter four. And if you would please look at chapter four and let's find something else about our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ is in this realm of truth. So we pull up the dock, we get off the ship, we get into the word of God here. And in John chapter four and verse 21, we read these words. Jesus said to her, woman, Believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you don't know. We worship what we know for salvations of the Jews, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him will worship him in spirit and in truth. So what are these verses telling us here? What is John trying to say? as he quotes these words of Jesus that he spoke on one particular day. He's saying that as Jesus talks to this woman of Samaria, worship is going to change. You've been worshiping by Jacob's well, and I'm telling you, that's not really right because we Jews, we know what worship is all about. And you're wrong in that, but I'm telling you, even that's going to change. Because it's not even going to be in Jerusalem. When the hour comes, when Jesus dies on the cross and he, rose, and he comes up back out of the grave and that hour of trial for him is fulfilled, the Father seeks people to worship him now. Not in some sanctuary, not in some other place, not in some shrine, not even in the temple in Jerusalem as sacred a place, not even in the Holy of Holies, which the high priest could only go to one time a year in fear of his own life when he did. He said, not even that. Worship is completely changing because now, because of Jesus, the Father desires that we worship him in spirit, that is an honesty and integrity and transparency. And he wants us to worship him in truth. That's more than just not telling a lie. Honesty and integrity, that goes along within the spirit. But what, what John is telling us here when he quotes these words of Jesus is that if you want to worship Jesus today, if you want to worship God the Father today, I should say, you must worship God the Father through Jesus Christ. You and I cannot worship God the Father if we do not worship him through the truth of Jesus Christ. A lot of people run around this world going, oh, I worship God. You worship him through Jesus Christ? Well, you know, I just, I, I just, I just love his creation. Well, your worship is falling flat to the ground, I'm afraid, my friend. Because the Father desires people to worship him in this way, and it must be. It's a change, but it must be through spirit and in truth. And so we can say that Jesus is 
in our worship, truth. Now, I'll tell you what, we have got a wonderful worship leader at our church in Ryan. Ryan does an awesome job, don't you think? He just does an awesome job of leading us in worship, he does. And I'll tell you, the, 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 other than the, all the background stuff he does and researching songs and, and, and you know, setting up what to sing for every service and all the other many things that I don't even know what he does, I'm sure that he's, he's just busier than what, what I could even imagine. But one of the things that I appreciate the most about him is when he stands up here on the platform, he magnifies Jesus. Amen. You hear him all the time. It's because of King Jesus. You know, he read from Philippians chapter two uh, earlier in the service today, talking about Jesus. He's always saying it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. There's a reason for that, folks. The Father desires that you and I worship him in spirit and in truth. And the only way that you and I can do that is through the truth of his son, Jesus Christ, whom Jesus represents fully in grace and in truth. He is in our worship, the truth. Well, let's get back on the ship. Let's go to another port of call. Let's go and turn over to John chapter five. John chapter five. Let's see what they've got here in this, in this portion of scripture that we can, we can get, pull a nugget out of that can help us to understand what is truth. John five and verse 30. I can do nothing on my own as I hear I judge and my judgment is just. Stop there for a second. Jesus I know some folks don't like this, but he's in the business of judging. I judge, and my judgment is just. If you are going to be the epitome of truth, and if, and if only through you can people accurately worship the Father, then you are the filter through which everything gets judged. Jesus, you are the judge of everything that is true or not true. He said, because I, I seek not my own, but the will of him who sent me, my, my, my judgment can be uh, true. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There's another who bears witness about me, and I know the testimony that he bears about me is true. Look at verse 36. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John, for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing bear witness about me, that the Father has sent me. The Father, being true and being the truth, sent his Son, as we read in Hebrews chapter 1, to be truth in this world, living example of what is truth. And he gave me several miracles that, that he uh, had me to perform so that people would know, so that the Father might testify of his truth, so that Jesus, so John the Baptist could testify about his truth, so that Jesus in his judgments is testifying about truth. Jesus is the revealer of truth for you and me. He is. Let's take a look at the next one. We're going to skip some, some John chapter 8 where the truth appears many times. We're going to head over to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, if you would please be there.
In John chapter 14, you probably, if you're familiar with this passage, probably already guessed the verse we're gonna take a look at where the word truth appears. But notice verse five. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Now, I wanna stop there for a minute. Thomas used two words that we often use when we're trying to find out truth about something. Where? Where is it? Where, where are we going? And how? How, how do you do this? Uh, how do you know the way? Uh, how this? Thomas asked the questions, the words that we so often use in our search for truth. Where? How? Do you see how Jesus responded to his where and how? He said, Thomas, it's not where, it's not how, it's who. I am the way. There is no other way. I am the truth. There is no other truth. I am the life. There is no other life. You and I probably would do ourselves a whole lot of good by not spending so much asking the where and the how, but concentrating on the who, Jesus Christ. He's the way, if you wanna know the way. He's the truth, if you wanna know the truth. He's the life, if you wanna know about life. It's who. And so Jesus becomes the embodiment, the enfleshment, the personification. Jesus is the embodiment of truth. And John shares that with us in pointing out who. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you do know him and have seen him. What? A powerful statement that is. Jesus said to Thomas, you see me? Yeah, yeah, you're standing right there. I see you, Jesus. You're looking at the Father. Well, come on now, that's a bit of a stretch, isn't it, Jesus? Thomas, you see me? Yeah. You're looking at the Father. That is as sobering as any statement that I know of in the scriptures. Who is Jesus? Who is he? Who, who is this incredible person? He is truth. He is the way. He is the life. He is the embodiment of truth. What is truth? Well, we, we head back to where we started. The first port of call, when we got on the ship, we get back to it. And we come back to John chapter 18 again, where Jesus said, you said, I'm a king for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I've come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. We know that there are verses in the Bible that tell us the purposes of why Jesus came to glorify the Father. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. But I don't know if you've ever noticed this particular statement here in John 18. Jesus said, I left heaven. I was born of the Virgin Mary. 
I walked the streets of this world and I will die on the cross and I will be resurrected again and I will sit on the right hand of the Father in heaven and I do that because I want to be a witness to the truth. Now you may want to blow truth off. You may say that's, that's too big a subject for me. I, I, get, I get too bogged down or I get too confused and, and, and how, do, how does everybody handle understanding the truth? Listen, your eternal destiny rests upon the truth that Jesus represents. Look at the cross and see the truth of the ugliness of your sin before God. Look at the empty tomb and see the truth that Jesus' sacrifice was accepted when he died on the cross and he offers you salvation. That is the truth. Have you accepted that truth? Have you surrendered yourself to the real truth, to the absolute truth, not the little truths that somebody may be running around and trying to convince somebody of this or that, but the truth. Have you surrendered to that? Asked for forgiveness and accepted the truth of Jesus as your savior. If you have, then why not take that truth and carry it to your neighbors and friends and family? And tell them, I have found the truth and it can save your eternal soul. Ought we not do that? For Jesus is the truth. Now maybe you're here, uh, well, now maybe if you're here, you are here. <laughs> but you're here and if you're saying to yourself right now, I, I, I don't know if I have surrendered myself to that truth, would you do me a favor? Would you take one of the connect cards? Would you write on there, I need to talk to somebody more about this. Let us know, let us help. We want you to spend eternity in heaven because you have accepted the truth.